Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors. Are you looking for that one-of-a-kind Christmas or birthday gift? If so, head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com and check out the best gifts for outdoorsmen 2021. We've curated a bunch of unique ideas to help you find an awesome gift for the outdoorsmen on your list. Just head over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash best gifts for outdoorsmen to check it out. And also brought to you by The Hunting Exchange. In this day and age, we all know it is a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms. And that's where The Hunting Exchange steps in. The Hunting Exchange is an app for iOS and Android that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands, saddles, or anything in between, this secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal. And as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms. And listing items is also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or knives. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. I'm your host, Joe Baya, here with my new co-host this week, uh, on this show at least, Butch Theory. Clint Flowers is out shooting something, I think he said. What's going on, Butch? Tell everybody a little bit about, about how you came to be co-hosting Hunting Land today, a little bit about your experience as a hunter, uh, as a landowner, and uh, you know, folks may know you from the Alabama Saltwater Fish Report. You and I have hosted that show together for years now. Uh, excited to have you on today, man. Yeah, man. Glad to be joining you for this show. It's something that I, you know, we'll have a little bit to offer on a couple of different sides and a couple of different angles. Been hunting pretty much my whole entire life. I think I killed my first year when I was about five with a gun. <laughs> I think I picked up a bow when I was about 12. Yeah. Um, we maintain and I guess own a pretty medium piece of tract in the black belt of Alabama. We've had it for about 20 years. It's been pretty cool to, we basically started with pasture. Yeah. I know you remember we got it when I was, whenever you and I were about 15 or 16 years old. Yeah. It's been pretty cool to, you know, just kind of pretty much mold the land into what it is now. Yeah. Started this past year, kind of got a pine plantation in the rotation, and it's been pretty cool to see it grow, man. Yeah, it's been fun to uh, talk to you, you know, off the air about the things that we cover on here and, you know, a lot how, how so much of that stuff pertains to you as a landowner and other things you're interested in, in the land as a landowner and, you know, the whole guess most of the reason why we own land is because we're hunters first and foremost and the investment aspects are great side benefits to it but it always gets back to being outdoors being on that piece of ground and uh you know seeing it get better throughout the years is a really gratifying feeling so excited to have you on today man so you know bow season has started in alabama where you hunt yep. i hunt as well i would guess I- i'm not sure i'm I would guess that just about anywhere in the country, bow season has already started. So if you haven't been practicing with your bow, which year to year can be a challenge, you know, some years you're really on top of it. Some years, not so great. Guilty. That baby will have a big impact on that uh, shooting for 15 or 20 minutes in the afternoon or even in the mornings, man. There's a lot of things that affect the amount of time you put onto something like that. And it takes it. I mean, you have to, I used to really enjoy shooting my bow a ton, but like you say, some things get in the way sometimes and not always time to put in the amount of time you need to be as accurate as you can be with a with a traditional compound bow 
Yeah, like you say, you know, uh, some some years it just seems like, man, it's it's bow season, and I, it's a struggle. I, yeah. I've only shot my bow one time, you know. So if you're in that camp, you got a lot to do to be ready to hunt with a bow. If that's you, or maybe you got another reason you can't use a bow uh, where it's legal, you can get in the game quickly with a crossbow. So today's show, we're going to cover really all the technical components of crossbows on the market today. Points you need to consider if you're thinking about buying one for yourself or for someone else, for deer hunting specifically. And as more states have legalized the use of crossbows, you know, for people, I guess when we were kind of coming up, it was mostly for folks that had some kind of a a disability, you know, that couldn't pull a bow back. Right. Now that they're more mainstream and uh, legal for use, man, the technology has just gone through the roof. I mean, it's kind of like your smartphone. It's like lighter, faster, does things that you didn't even know it could do, you know, you know for you sure. don't even know all the features these things have. I feel kind of left behind in the dust. You know what I mean? Cause I didn't adapt it very quickly. Um, I stuck with my compound bow and man, I'm just in the dust. I mean, there's so many variables now, so many different cocking mechanisms, so many different aspects. I don't even really know where to begin whenever I need to choose one. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of different reasons why you'd want to choose one besides just, you know, having a handicap. So we're going to get into that today. Joining us today is Chris James with Faradine. Now, if you don't know the name Faradine, you might know the name Muzzy. You might know the name Rage. You might know the name Block Targets. They make a ton of different products as it relates to archers, guys that are shooting crossbows. They make crossbows themselves. So we're going to do a deep dive with Chris and learn everything we need to be thinking about when it comes to choosing a crossbow. Chris, welcome to Hunting Land, man. First off, tell everybody a little bit about what your role is over there at Faradine. I'm the VP of sales. So I've uh, been with Faradine. I started with Muzzy back in uh, 2005. Came on as an intern and managed to get a job uh, while I was still in college with them. And I graduated, started full-time in the sales department with Muzzy. And then when Muzzy got bought in 2011, 2012 timeframe by Faradine. I came over and been with Faradine uh, ever since. So it's been a, it's been a long ride. We've, we've grown quite a bit and, you know, I think we've got 20, 20 something brands now, 22, 23 brands all total that we've got out in the marketplace and, you know, some industry leading brands and a lot of exciting stuff we have going on. You know, Muzzy was the first broadhead I think I ever shot. Uh, killed a lot of deer with Muzzies. So you're in my, uh, <laughs> you're making me happy talking about Muzzies. I, I, I have oh. some really good experiences uh, with those broadheads. But, you know, we're going to talk crossbows today. And, you know, before we had you on, one of the things Butch and I were talking about is just how far the technology has come with crossbows since they've legalized them in most most places and just, I mean, it's just leaps and bounds. It seems like every year they're just getting better and better and faster and lighter and, you know, more capable, but still one of the limiting things that I see around crossbows is there's still just a whole bunch of people that think it's really only meant for folks with a disability. So who do you think a a crossbow is really great for? What are some of the applications you see for crossbows that, that maybe people might be missing? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's, there's people that have some, something that prohibits them from from drawing a bow or hunting with a bow regularly. You know, there's people that, uh, that have that situation, but there's a lot of other situations too. You know, kids, certainly I, I started my daughters shooting crossbows, uh, in the yard when they were five, six years old, shooting it on a bench and getting them used to what a scope looks like, you know, how to, 
the crosshairs, where to hold, um, things like that. And, you know, they were, they were proficient with a, with a crossbow by the time they were, you know, eight or nine years old and, uh, they can't cock it. They can't do all that, but they can, they can, they can certainly have it on a, you know, a tripod and, or a set of shooting sticks and be able to go hunt and, and be able to take, take good shots at close ranges. So there's that for sure. And then also the, the other thing is, you know, anybody can use a crossbow. It's a tool and it gives a lot of seasons and opportunities that people don't necessarily think about. Um, when I was young, uh, Georgia opened up crossbows and I, I was a vertical bow hunter and I through bow season, I always hunted with a vertical bow, but once rifle season started, the, the counties that we hunted, it was, it was buck only unless you were using archery equipment, which crossbow was considered archery equipment. So when I was hunting public land, I'd get out of school at three o'clock, I could grab my dad's crossbow and head out to the public land and, and sit in a, you know, a brush blind on the ground when I didn't have time to take a lot or a, a ladder or a climbing stand and climb up a tree, you know, I could hunt there. And, uh, it, it gave me an opportunity to go, to go be successful, uh, when I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to be successful. Yeah. It's funny to hear you say that because I was actually hunting. It was actually just, just, uh, just a week ago and intended to climb a tree got it, got out late, you know, was doing camp chores, didn't get to my stand till late, really didn't have time to do everything I needed to do to climb, to get set up. And I it was, you know, I was hunting a, a really hot white oak and I was like, man, you know, I bet if I just go over there and sit on the ground, I'm going to be in just as good, you know, I can just sit mm-hmm. on the ground. So I went over there, sat up against a big tree and, uh, had some deer come in, had a big group of deer come in actually. And man, every time I would move ahead, you know, would, would lock on, you know, like what was that? Mm-hmm. And I, and I just could not get drawn back. I mean, the deer were 15, 20 yards away. I just couldn't get drawn, couldn't get drawn. Every time they were in the open presenting me with a shot, I could not get drawn. If I'd had a crossbow, I could have shot yeah. all the deer. That's a great many, point. Many times. Yep. Uh, and I never really even think about the fact that when you don't have cover, that crossbow is just, like you said, it's just a tool for you to be able to use certain applications. Yep. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Some, some things you don't think about too, same kind of deal. Like when you're up North, you have literally a, a, a dry suit on. You're so cold, negative degrees. You're not going to be able to pull back a bow and you're not going to be able to shoot it efficiently. It's going to hit your forearm with all those clothes and things like that. So I think a crossbow is a, a great application for that as well. Yep. I have a lot of friends. Uh, I'm in Duluth, Minnesota now is where, where our, uh, where I, I live at. We our offices in superior wisconsin which is just across the river and uh you know it's you know in late december it's definitely in the negative temperatures and you're in two to three feet of snow so it makes it really difficult to uh to bow hunt but there's still plenty of season left and and there's a lot of opportunities on public land to uh, to get deer in that time frame and you know you don't have the you can't make a tower blind where you where it's got a heater or whatever you got to take everything in and take everything out at the same time when you're going in and out every day and so it, it really is nice to be able to put on, you know, like a, a heater body suit or and have the crossbow on a, on a tripod or a bipod and just be able to come out of that and shoot when you need to shoot without having to worry about it. So there's definitely a lot of opportunities that people don't think about that lend themselves to a crossbow versus a vertical bow. Chris, one of, you know, one of the things uh, I picked up a crossbow a couple of years ago. And I still hunt with my vertical bow most of the time. I mean, I enjoy it. I like shooting, you know, um, I still do that. But one of the things I've enjoyed about that crossbow is I'm able to invite guests that don't bow hunt and during bow season, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like I've, I have been able to take them and and give them a crossbow, give them a pretty quick lesson, you know, in the middle of the day and, and they're hunting that afternoon. 
the other thing is like, I think about like, I had, you know, I had my brother and he came up and it was, he was super busy. He's got a bunch of young kids. He just didn't have time to practice with his bow that year. And I said, man, just leave your bow. You know, you hadn't practiced. What's the point in that? You bring, use my crossbow. There's no sense in you going out there if you haven't practiced. How much time do you think is really needed to get proficient with a, with a crossbow versus a vertical bow? I recommend, you know, a couple weeks of shooting it. Uh, most people, if you're proficient with a crossbow and you, you know how to use it, it doesn't take that long to get used to a bow, but there's going to be little things that it takes time to learn how to do correctly and quietly. You know, if you're, if you, once you sight it in and, you know, when you sight it in, depending on how you do it, you, you can shoot it, you know, as, as few as like three or four times, or you may shoot it 20, 25 times. And that's going to be over the course of, you know, a whole afternoon. But if you only do it one time, you're not going to be proficient at it. You may know how to do it, but you're going to forget something when you get to the tree stand or on the ground blind, and you're going to wish that you had taken more time and kind of situationally assess how, how to use it. You know, actually sit in a ground blind with it, you know, sit it up in your yard or at the range and figure out what you need to do with it. What type of accessories do you need to have with it? Because if you have a shooting set of shooting sticks and you've got a normal, a conventional, you know, crossbow and you put it in the shooting sticks in the wrong place, the string's going to hit the the forks that are that your bow sitting on and then you're going to wreck your crossbow like there's things that you need to be able to look at that if you're putting it out you know if you're putting it on that in the middle of the the morning and you know it's dark outside you're not going to notice it so i think that people need to spend you know a week or two weeks getting familiar with their particular crossbow and the things that are there with it and that's a that's at a minimum you know where you know for a vertical bow you know you may need a, a couple months to get proficient with it i think a week you know if you're shooting it every day for a week you're going to be fairly proficient with it. You should be able to keep really good groups and you should be able to shoot it from multiple positions, whether it be standing up, um, sitting down, you know, in, in, in different shooting situations, you should be able to practice most of that and be able to uh, get done what you need to get done. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, is just the technology. I mean, the, uh, the first time I grabbed a crossbow, I was like, I have no idea how to cock this thing, <laughs> you know? So yep. talk, take me through, I mean, golly, how far has that come? Oh, it's come a long way. So I, when I, I was talking about my dad's crossbow, I cocked it with my hands. There, there was no rope cocker, like none of that. Like it was, you literally just grab hold of the string, put your foot on it and go. And then like when you got to the tree stand, uh, I'm a good size guy, uh, a little over six foot and uh, 300 pounds. And, you know, I was a big kid and I, I remember I got in a ladder stand one time that had a uh, shooting rail on it and I couldn't cock the crawl. I couldn't like, couldn't crock, bend over to, to cock it because it wouldn't fit between the shooting rail so i just had to put it on my chest and pull it straight back so it was like a 150 pound crossbow that you just have to basically bench press against your chest Hmm. and cock it and so that was back in the day you know i didn't know any better and you don't know that uh you need you know we we would mark the serving with a sharpie so that you could make sure to get it centered and all sorts of stuff back then and you know now there's the cocking the rope cockers you put them on there and they draw it straight back and they make sure that it's centered so that it's uh, you don't have to worry about that. It kind of self-centers it when you're cocking it and you're, you're not hurting your fingers or, you know, you're not endangering your fingers by putting them in the string path or any of that stuff. So there's a lot of things that have came just in, just in the cocking aids. And then, you know, crank cockers, there's a lot of different ones out there. Like um, in our Rocky mountain bows, we have the, the quiet crank that's got, it's just slides at the back of it. And you can either rope cock it or use the quiet crank to crank it back. Um, our axe crossbow has the uh, 
the silent cranking system that has clutched so you can actually let it go and it'll stop right there. And that's a unique feature that, you know, when you're cranking, if, if you're in the tree stand and something happens like, oh, a deer walks out right as you get there, you're up in the tree, you need to just be still. You don't have to put pressure on it and hold it. You can literally just let it go and it sits there and it doesn't move. You know, decocking, that's another big thing. Uh, the action, you can just, you can actually just take it back down. The car, the Rocky Mountain uh, quiet crank, um, you can actually hand crank it back down. You can release it and crank it back down, but it's, you know, you have to be vigilant and not let it go because right. it's all the way under pressure. Um, and then there's decocking bolts and things like that. And, you know, people have went from just shooting a regular bolt into the ground to specific decocking bolts to things you put on the tips of your bolts to, to be able to decock them. You know, back in the day, there was a, I think Parker had a, the Phoenix, I think is what it was. It was like a, a CO2. So it looked like a paintball, had a paintball tank on it. And it actually would cock the crossbow and decock the crossbow, which worked great until the really cold weather and CO2 changes states when it gets really cold. Mm -hmm. And so it would blow the O-rings and then, then your bow would just dry fire basically. So that was way back in the, that was way back in the day. I remember I thought that was cool when it came out. I saw that at some shows and, you know, there's, there's been a lot of technology in, in the cocking aspect of it. As far as the size of crossbows, I mean, you know, Excalibur, well, those things seemed like they were four foot wide when they first came out, you know, and it was the as a recurve limb crossbow. And then, you know, you had Horton and a lot of the other 10 point, those guys that Parker that started making the compound bows more narrow and uh, more compact. And then the last few years you had, you know, Raven came on the market with the super compact design and, and the speeds that they're able to get out of those bows, you know, used to 400 feet a second was kind of a, Everybody thought, you know, if you they get to 400, that'll be that's as far as they can go. And Scorpion, I think, had one that was already a reverse draw that was over 400. But Raven came out with that super, super small axle to axle design, and you know, it made a it made a big in, impact on the industry. So you had people that were that were buying these larger compound bows that were quiet, but they're fairly bulky. To they they're spending twice the money or three times the money to buy this really compact um, bow that shoots as fast or faster than most of those, those same bows. So it was a, it was a big change in a really short amount of time, probably five years, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the industry. We've been able to try to uh, follow some of those trends and then develop some new stuff to, to go in place of it. I'm glad you brought up the speed debate because one of the things I've heard uh, as a crossbow novice is that, you know, yeah, they're fast, but they're loud. So do you really always give up sound uh, when when you increase speed or, or has there been some advancements in terms of going faster, quieter? Oh, there's definitely some advancements. So uh, it's just like a vertical bow vibration. The lighter the material, the more it vibrates, I guess you'd say, you know, like people that have a heavy bow, it's a quiet bow. You know, they put dampeners on it, they put weight on it and it's, it's solid and it, it's not, it doesn't twang or rattle or anything like that. And that's the same thing with a crossbow. There are, you know, your entry level bows are not designed or built to be ultra quiet. You know, they are, they are entry level bows where like, you know, the, the faster the bow, there's, there's always going to be more vibration because you're putting it out. It's how that's constructed and the materials that are used that dampen that vibration and make it quieter. So 
that's the difference. And, and some of the fastest bows that are out there are some of the quietest bows that are out there. So that, that doesn't always stack up against it. You know, people forget too. Yeah. The, the crossbow makes a noise or the, or the bow makes a noise. But if you ever got behind a solid wall downrange and let an arrow go by you, you yeah. can hear it way more than you can hear the bow that goes off. Cause it, hmm. you know, people, people's talk about broadhead noise or whatever. Veins and feathers make a heck of a lot of noise going down range. Like oh, yeah. it's, it's pretty impressive to uh, sit there and listen to an arrow coming from 60 yards away and you can hear it a significant amount of time before it gets there. Yeah. Agreed. And that's the, that's the other question. So when it comes to speed, I mean, you're not going to, uh, I've, I've seen the numbers and I won't quote them cause I'll, I'll butcher it, but basically you're not gonna shoot faster than a, an animal can react to that sound. I mean, it, it's, you're, you're not approaching those speeds no matter how fast you go. So as we increase in speed, what are we gaining? You know, if, cause if, if somebody's trying to make the decision between, all right, yeah, it's the fastest crossbow there is. Well, why does that matter? Is, does it, does it work out to be uh, more accurate at longer distances? Where do you think speed really matters when it comes to the hunting applications? Uh, margin of error, the gaps between, you know, it's still archery in the fact that it, the, the arrow arches as it goes. But the flatter the trajectory, the less chance that you have of making judgment that's going to make a bad shot, an unethical shot, if you will. So if you're if you're shooting a fast bow, 20 to 40 is a, you know, you're at 40 yards, you're going to be on the animals, a deer's heart, and the, and the 20 is going to be middle of its lungs. You know, I mean, that's, that's how tight those pins are. Mm. So that makes a big difference when you're trying to if you don't have time to range or you, you, you range an animal and say he's at, he's at 40 yards and he's walking towards you, you know, having a really small distance or gap between the 40 and the 20, you're, you don't have to worry about it. You can, you can, you can estimate it without having to, to rearrange it and, and to know, you know, just like a, with a vertical bow, if you're, it all comes back to, you know, well, do I want a heavy arrow or do I want a light arrow? And most people are somewhere in between because yes, a heavy arrow, there are, there's a lot of performances to a heavy arrow, but the pin gap that you have is a lot larger with a heavy right. arrow versus a, you know, there's just less margin of error. You know, penetration is really not an issue. You know, that's, that's something that you've got a lot of kinetic energy and there's, it's not that it's unstoppable. Obviously it is, but if you're shooting a deer broadside or quartering away, there's, there's no reason you shouldn't get it, uh, the broadhead through both sides of the animal. There's, there's plenty of energy. So speed doesn't really play there, but you know, speed does come in at distance, you know, and there, there's a great debate on what's, what's the right distance and there's no right or wrong answer. I don't think to that. It's every crossbow is different and every shooter is different. Just that's the, the bottom line. Just like there are people that are capable of shooting a vertical bow really proficiently at 80 and 90 and hundred yards. You know, those are the guys on the, the ASA, the IBO, you know, circuits, they make a living shooting that. And not everybody's going to have those same skills. Yeah. At the same time, you know, there's people that, that can shoot a crossbow really well. And in the right situations, you know, a 60 yard shot's probably not too far. If the animal's really calm and the, there's not, it's not windy, that's not too far. And there's all, all those things that, that come into play. It's funny to hear you talk about the speed debate in terms of margin of error, because what I heard you describing sounds a lot like 
the concept of maximum point blank range in a rifle. You know, I mean, if you've got a, a 270 and, you know, the ballistics on that rifle, you know, if you're sighted in two inches high at a hundred yards, you can basically point and shoot out to about 290 yards. You know, after mm -hmm. that, that bullet really starts to fall off and you have to make adjustments with your point of aim to make a, uh, you know, to make a hit. So in, if you go to a 308, you know, it may be 265 yards. If you go to a 300 ultra mag, it may be 325 yards. So mm -hmm. it, it's just more speed gives you more forgiveness. If, if I'm hearing you correctly. And, and man, that's so huge when it comes to hunting, because if we, if you've bow hunted very long, you've all had that situation where this deer comes in, it's at 20 yards. And then all of a sudden it spooks, you know, and it jumps back and then, how far did it jump back? You don't know. You're at full draw. What do you do? Let down, grab your rangefinder. You know, sometimes you don't have time for all that. So like knowing that you can just point and shoot to a certain distance is a big, big advantage when it comes to hunting. And that's where this, to me, it sounds like speed comes in. What about sound? You know, I mean, we, you know, that was the other side of that debate. Is it the same kind of thing where an entry level bow is going to be you know, going to be louder, you said. So mm -hmm. is that still a margin of error thing? You know, it gives that animal a little more time to react. It does give it in the, having shot different crossbows and animals at different distances. I can't tell you the exact distance, but you know, close in it's a louder sound, but there's not as much time for an animal to react. Uh, when you get to a certain point, 40 yards or so, I think is kind of the area where it's a louder sound, but you know, they're, they've had time to react, but after further from that, like it's not as disturbing if you would, if that makes any sense, like when they, the further you get away from it, yeah, they hear it, but they don't necessarily react as violently or right. depending on the state of, you know, alertness that they're in. They don't, they don't immediately it's not duck and run. Yeah. It's not as much shock. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that because yes, they have more time to react, but it's not as loud of a sound, you know, there. So there's a little bit of that going on. That's one reason that, you know, the higher end bows are capable of shooting. And in my opinion, hunting at a, at a little bit further distance, most of the scopes that are on the entry level bows have a 20, 30, 40, and a 50 that, you know, there, there's usually five markers on them. And just like anything else, I always practice with my vertical bow out to, at least 20 yards past what I'm usually comfortable hunting with. Cause if I sit there and shoot at 60 or 70 yards and I become what I feel like is proficient at 70 yards then a 50 yard shot, which would be my max normally um, should seem pretty easy. You know, when you get actually get in a situation or if you ever have heaven forbid you wound an animal, but we all have done it and you're going to do it. If you bow hunt long enough, uh, a lot of times you have to put a second shot in an animal and you don't, I always get to pick that distance. So having an, having a little bit of extra uh, room to expand your range is always a good thing. All right, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This week's show has been brought to you by MB Ranch King Hunting Blinds and Feeders are built to last right here in the USA. With durability and convenience in mind, MB Ranch King's maintenance-free blinds are constructed with high-grade steel and come in a variety of sizes to meet any hunter's needs. They also offer high-quality, easy-to-use corn and protein feeders that can be filled with both feet on the ground. Call Kevin today for more info or a quote at 
0580729937 MB Ranch King built in the pursuit of perfection and also brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer if so try Southern Buck Food Plot blends your deer will love it at Southern Seed and Feed they specialize in making textured feed for horses cattle sheep goats hogs chickens small animals and wildlife their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated, and promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors in the South, so visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. You know, thinking about some of the other components of crossbows, you know, that's a pretty like you said, maybe 150 pound draw weight. I mean, that's a lot of pressure that's built up. What do we need to think about when it comes to longevity? I mean, is there certain designs that, that last longer or, you know, it, it, what can you expect out of, out of today's crossbows? How long can you expect to own this weapon? You know, it, it comes down to shots. That's part of it is how often you shoot it. Most crossbows, what we find is most crossbows do not get shot more than a few hundred times in their life cycle. Like, not that they can't take more than that, but that's over the course of time. That's what people shoot them. You know, you side them in, you shoot them, like I said, you know, 10 or 15 or 25 times. And they shoot them a few more times when they first get them and uh, get it out every year. And they shoot a few times. But once hunting season starts, most people don't shoot their crossbow on a regular basis. They cock it and they decock it. If that requires it to be shot, every time they go in the woods, it gets shot once. So that's, that's kind of the average life cycle, you know, is a couple hundred shots for a, for a crossbow that's, that's out there, but the length of time you leave it cocked, that's another big thing um, because the longer you leave them cocked, the more pressure those limbs are under. So there's a great debate on how long you should do it. You know, some people recommend uncocking it and cocking it back. I don't really see the advantage that to letting the pressure off and then put it immediately right back under pressure, but I'm not an engineer, so I can't, I can't make a comment on that piece of it, but that, those are the things that, that do matter is how long you leave it cocked. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to leave it cocked for an extended period of time. You know, if you're, if you're hunting all day, then, then obviously you need to leave it cocked while you're, while you're hunting, but you know, don't leave it cocked overnight. And I've, I've seen people that, you know, back in the day, they would put them in the case cocked. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. You can't do that. You know, but, uh, they just had no idea. And so, but that's, that's part of it is, you know, making sure that you, you take care of it. And every manufacturer is going to have an owner's manual that tells you what to do and how to take care of it. You know, waxing your string, putting rail lube on. I know people that don't understand rail lube. They're like, I don't know why my strings frame. Like, when's the last time you lose rail lube? Like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was that tube that was in your, that, that came in your crossbow that said, use this after every shot. You know, and uh, wha- you know, like I said, waxing the string and and just stuff like that, and making sure that they that they keep it in good shape, as well as making sure that they follow all the manufacturer's um, recommendations. You know, you mentioned it earlier. You were talking about crossbow bolts. You know, talking about you know, I, w- I would call them arrows. I don't know why you call them bolts and not arrows, but. To make it complicated, right? Right. Yeah, it's got to be different. But I guess I guess so. Nobody grabs an arrow and throws it in a crossbow. That probably is is the reason. But uh, when you when you're thinking about that, what are the limitations there? Uh, you got a mu- typically a much shorter bolt, right? 
mm-hmm. than arrows. So, so what does somebody need to be thinking about when it comes to the bolt, you know, weights, things of that nature? With all that power, yep. wouldn't it make sense to just shoot a super heavy arrow? And that way you get great terminal performance? Or what's the line of thinking there? There's That's, that's another great debate. So, you know, a lot of people uh, tend to use just the whatever comes with their particular crossbow. And there's a manufacturer's recommendation. And most crossbows are tested with a certain grain of arrow. It's like they're just like an IBO sitting on a bow in a, in a perfect setting. If you use this grain arrow, uh, this, or this grain of bolt, this is what you would, this is the speed you'll achieve. If you go with the most economical, which is what a lot of the entry-level bows are shipped with, um, it's not going to give you the same amount of speed as what comes on it. But it, if you went back down, it would still shoot those, those advertised speeds. So most people, uh, most crossbows that are out there actually, are shooting the heavier, more durable arrows um, to get, like you said, to get more um, more kinetic energy out of it. Um, they're not shooting as fast as they possibly could, and that's that goes into longevity too. So if you know anything about uh, how bows work, the lighter the arrow, the closer you come to dry firing it, the the more likely you are to crack a limb or or something like that. So shooting a heavier bolt will actually extend the life of your bow. In a lot of cases, so you know it's gonna it's gonna make your limbs a lot more durable. It's gonna be a lot better for your string, all that sort of stuff. So, but I feel like, the, well, one of the big things is a twenty or a twenty-two inch bolt. But for most crossbows, those are the standard links that are out there. You know, there's people that say that a longer projectile is more accurate at distance or more stable in flight. So because it's more stable in flight, it should shoot a longer bolt should shoot more accurately than a shorter bolt. But that also has to do with FOC and you want to make sure that you do have enough weight up front on them. And crossbow manufacturers are looking at that whenever you're, whenever you're designing a bolt or you're picking a bolt for that particular crossbow, those are things that are already being considered. So, you know, if you're, you know, we have the car under our carbon express on, we sell a lot of car or crossbow bolts and, we have pure carbon bolts that's in our like our dual spine series that they're super accurate. And then we have our pile driver, which is a carbon composite. And, you know, so it's a super durable, really heavy duty. And then, you know, we've got our 380 grain destroyer that uh, we're coming out with for 2022, actually. And so that's the that's the weight bolt that we test with when we do all of our speeds for Rocky Mountain crossbows is 380 grains. So if you want to have if you want to shoot the fastest you can possibly shoot, we have that bolt. If you want to shoot uh, what comes with it, which is the pile driver, that's the most durable and going to give you the best life out of your crossbow. And then if you want to shoot with a more accurate bolt that's somewhere in between, we have that option as well. That brings me to my next question, Chris. It seems like there are a lot of options out there. And me just coming from a vertical bow background, um, gosh, remember, Joe, whenever we first started, it's almost funny to think about the designs of the bows and then the cams were introduced and the double cams and it just got, you know, crazier and crazier, which of course correlated into more and more expensive. I mean, I'm looking at some of these crossbows and there's, you know, what I would call traditional limbs where you just drop back and you shoot it like a, you know, it's just a horizontal bow basically, but Mm -hmm. man, there's, there's backwards limbs and there's crazy looking cams. So I assume that, you know, we're talking about speed, sound, longevity, 
I would assume all of that's correlated into kind of a price, you know, lower to higher. What are some things to look for as far as getting somewhere in that middle ground of performance, longevity, and speed whenever you're talking about these reverse limbs and all that kind of stuff? Does that make sense as a question? I think so. So when you're first looking at different things is what, what are you going to use it for? How often are you going to use it? What are you looking to get into, right? Like, so most of your entry-level crossbows, we have our Rocky Mountain uh, 370, and it's just a basic entry-level crossbow that is, I think it's right around $200, $250 maybe, I think is what the MSRP is on it. And so for $250, you're getting a bow with a scope. You know, it's a basic four power scope. It's got hash marks in there to different distances and three bolts and, and the lube and the, you know, a rope cocker and this, that sort of stuff. So you're getting a really basic entry level kit. It's got a quiver on it. The st- everything that you're going to need to be able to go out and use it is there. And then you, it's not super fast. It's pretty basic. It's lightweight. You know, it's a little bit lighter weight. There's nothing fancy about it. And then, but that's, that's going to be the guy that maybe he's just getting into it. He, maybe he's only rifle hunted ever. He just wants sure. to try, he just wants to try shooting a crossbow or maybe you're the, it, like you said, it's for one of your buddies that, you, you know, you just want to keep a crossbow around in case somebody needs it, or you want to get out in the yard and, and play with a crossbow and see if you like it. That's the kind of thing there. Or, you know, you've got a one week season that's late season. And sometimes you, sometimes you may want to use it and, or you might get drawn for one every couple of years. You know, it's not something that you're going to do every year. Those are the kind of people that are going to buy that 200, $300 crossbow. You know, you get up into that, that 349 or four or $400. And we have some options that are, um, they come with a quiet crank system. So you can actually use a crank instead of using the rope cocker. They've got a illuminated reticle in the scope so that most people should know what illuminated reticle is, but it doesn't light the scope up. It just lights up your crosshairs, your hash marks. So it's easier to see in low light situations. So um, just like what your sight light on your pin would do on your pins for a vertical bow. So people always ask that question, but um, anyone that's got an ambidextrous quiver with those packages, some, uh, you know, a little bit more vibration dampening string stops and some their the limbs have uh, dampeners in them, uh, little things like that to make them quieter and to have the, some, you know, just little little things like that 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 really make it uh, more user friendly when you're when you're talking about uh, how to how to hunt with a crossbow or what you're doing with a crossbow and they're and they're faster you know so they're 405 or 415 feet a second with a 380 grain bolt so those are some of the those are some of the things that that people are looking at as they start getting in that mid price point and really right now there's not a lot of mid price point stuff because you either kind of go from that level all the way up to over a thousand dollars. There's only a few bows that are right around that, uh, that are right around a thousand bucks right now or, or seven or $800 even. And because there's, the thing is there's not as much of a difference right now between that entry level bow and those 700 or $800 bows, except for like creature comforts and things like that. You know, the speeds are about the same. Um, there is going to be some quieter bows that are going to be in there and they're going to be, they're going to have a little bit more adjustability in them. They're going to have a better optic on them there's going to be something that's going to make it worth that money, but you really just need to look and see like what's important to you when you're buying that bow. Like it's having that better optic uh, worth it. Or is, is that something you're going to buy an accessory for and replace later after market anyways? Like are you going to, you know, are you just going to upgrade it? And then, you know, when you get up into those, you know, thousand dollar plus thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, I think some 10 points got one that's like 4,500 now. So those are some of the things that you really need to look at there. You know, is is size is size a the size matter for what you're doing? Are are you going to be in tight places where you you need to be able to shoot out of you know shooting windows that are that are small weight? You know, that's the other thing is you know what 
mass weight is, is, is right for you because some people feel like a, you know, they want a lighter bow so they can hold it. But if, and if it's a traditional bow, all of it out front does matter. But if you're going to use, use shooting sticks or shooting it out of a shooting house, it's probably not that big a deal because it's going to be on a rest. So that doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. And it seems like too, you know, the whole weight thing, like with shotguns, for example, you know, a lot of times guys that are hunting upland, they like to have a real light shotgun, easy to carry. But man, I can tell you what, I shoot a heavier gun a lot more accurately than I do a lighter gun. Does that translate into crossbows at all? If you're safe, you're shooting free-handed. Absolutely. Is it harder to shoot a lighter crossbow accurately? It is. It's harder to shoot a lighter crossbow. It's the smaller ones too, like the smaller, more compact ones are a lot harder to shoot. It's hard to hold them steady. That's that's something like some of those really compact ravens are, are like they're really floaty if you try to hold them if you try to hold them steady at free you know like try to shoot forty yards free handed it's very very difficult uh, that's one of the things that went into when we designed our axe bow is we wanted a bow that was very stable and easy to shoot and user friendly and to do that we put it's a reverse draw so you're talking about different draw styles it's a reverse draw and all the weight is right over your hand where the grip uh, where the grip and the trigger box is that's where all the weight's at. You can actually you can actually shoulder it and shoot it one handed is probably be more stable than most people shoot two handed with a with a uh, traditional uh, traditional draw crossbow because you got it you know that weight's on a lever so if there's three pounds out on front of it and you're on a thirty inch riser or whatever that's just multiplying that weight out on the front of it that you're having to hold because it's 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 a lever whereas if you've got uh, you know it's a I think a axe is weighs right at uh, 10 pounds once it's fully loaded it's all right on top of it so it's three pounds more than a normal crossbow i think most of them are around seven pounds three pounds isn't that much but when it's in the right spot and it's super balanced and it's not tipping back you know left and right and you're not having to you're not uh up and down all over the place um it's a lot more stable and and really that's what it's about people don't understand that like i said they want a light gun because it's easy to carry but going to have more recoil it's going to be uh it's going to be less accurate you know it's going to have more vibration as it's going off and it's it's just not going to uh, be as stable against your shoulder yeah well you know it's, it's one of those you probably one of those you need to pick it up and feel it kind of thing but as a general rule like you said heavier is going to equal more accurate now you're talking about you know heavier bolts and, and picking the right bolt and that kind of thing my experience in the deer that i've that i've killed with a crossbow uh you guys make rage broadheads I I used a a Rage crossbow specific broadhead on the last couple of deer that I shot with uh, my crossbow, and I mean it was absolutely devastating. I I couldn't believe the entry and exit holes and the blood trails. It was um, really amazing to me how good it was. But that being said, what goes into crossbow broadheads that is not there for you know just vertical bows i mean we we see we see crossbow broadheads we see crossbow targets you know what what do you have to do differently in the design there and and then i'm going to give you the age-old debate question of you know is there a better or worse when it comes to cut on contact or expandables yep so basically the what you look at when you're doing a broadhead the first thing that we always do whether it be rage or muzzy or uh, any of our broadhead brands whack them we uh, Rocky Mountain too. I'll have broadheads in them. We actually make the the back of the broadhead the, of the ferrule um, a twenty two sixty four diameter. So most of your crossbow bolts are twenty two sixty four diameter. So we make them that diameter. Where our vertical bow heads are a five sixteen diameter at the back. So most of your most standard diameter arrows are five sixteen. And so that's that's the diameter that we're 
that we're making them to. So we are making it specifically for a crossbow. Then the other thing you have to fit, realize is the launch of a crossbow is a lot more violent than the launch of a vertical bow. So when you look at that under high speed, the retention system has to be better. You know, we, we do have some, our, our, like our new no collars, the, the retention system is the same in both the vertical and the crossbow. So that's not a thing, but in the shot colored versions, we have a red or an orange colored uh, shot collar versus the, uh, usually a black or a gray shot collar. And that's because it's a heavier duty plastic that's, that's there and it takes more force to actually open it because, you know, to be able to withstand the launch forces, the G force on launch, it has to have that stronger collar because we want it to, we don't want it to be like, yeah, it's good up to 420 feet a second when there's 450 feet a second crossbows out there. We want it to just be as universal as we can. So we gear it towards the, uh, the upper end of everything. So then to go back to, you know, that's some of the things we also look at for crossbows. Typically penetration is not an issue, right? You're not, you're not limited on amount of energy. You typically have a a lot of energy that's left to, to burn. So we, you know, we try to make sure that uh, we have like our crossbow extreme, which is a 2.3 inch cut crossbow head, you know, that that's just a, a huge hole and it's going to make a big slap cut, probably close to three inches on the, on the way in. And then, then lay back to 2.3 inches as it goes into the animal. So that's something that, you know, not everybody can shoot a 2.3 inch broadhead, you know, so people, if they were shooting a vertical bow, they can only shoot a 1.5 inch expandable, or maybe they don't even have enough to shoot an expandable. Maybe they only have enough to shoot a, a fixed blade broadhead. So it does give you a lot of, of opportunities. And, you know, so people may say it's overkill. And, and in a lot of cases, yeah, it could be overkill, but if you're in an area that's really thick and you don't have, uh, or certain types of terrain where blood trailing is is difficult because of the the soil soaks up the blood or what have you it becomes a big deal that you want to put them down as fast as you can so um, there are things that we do for crossbow broadheads we usually give them a a little bit bigger cut Um, you have to worry about how much overhang there is at the back of the blades so like i said most people shoot a 20 or 22 inch bolt and and it's designed for one or the other and the blades can only hang over a certain distance without touching the riser of the crossbow uh, because it, it's not like an arrow rest. It has to actually lay on it. So those are some of the other things we, there's things that are limitations that, so we may in some cases are like on the extreme, the crossbow ferrule is longer so that there's more distance and there's less overhang of the blades on the back. So there's, there's all kinds of stuff that we go into. And then as far as the debate, it's not as much of a debate with crossbows because the speeds that we're talking about now, and the shorter projectile that I mentioned earlier doesn't have as much of a chance to stabilize a fixed blade broadhead because you're you're not able to shoot a really strong helical uh, vein. And the veins are essentially like rifling on the barrel of a gun. The more helical you have on it, the tighter the spiral or the more twist straight in the, the gun. Straight fletchings, you know, if you want to think about it in a, as a shotgun, a straight fletching is like shooting a smoothbore shotgun with a, with a slug versus a a helical fletching is like shooting one when it's got a rifled barrel and a nice sabot. You know, it's gonna it's gonna shoot a really nice groove versus a, a less less tight groove. So the faster you shoot it, the more it's gonna plane around and float around uh, without that spin. So it's really uh, changed over to mostly uh, expandables. But there are still people that shoot crossbows with uh, fixed blade broadheads, and and is if you're willing to take the time to shoot them and learn how your bow shoots the the broadheads, they shoot consistent. They just don't have the same point of impact as your field points. So as long as you're willing to practice with them, 
they will be consistent. It's not like they float around. Um, they just will have a little bit different impact point because it takes a little bit for that, uh, that bolt to stabilize and get going straight. So you're going to have to do a broadhead tune, you know, mm-hmm. if you're basically going to have to recite in when you, when you go from field points to broad mm-hmm. broadheads, if you're using a cut on contact. Yep. On the faster bows. Now there's some that, like I said, there's some that, that shoot them just fine, that shoot a fixed blade just fine. But every bow is different, and it, like I said, it really depends on too, like the the bolt combination that you're using, and you know some some of the new bows have uh, a railless design, so you don't you're not limited by the rail to be able to put a helical on there. Or there's there's a lot of things that come into play, but majority of people do it because it's pretty simple. You've got enough energy to do it; it's going to fly like a field point, and you get a little bit bigger, you can get a bigger cut. So most people are going to those expandables with it. Chris, you mentioned earlier, you know, and and Butch brought it up again, the debate in your own mind of, you know, do I need to buy this entry level? If I'm thinking about a crossbow or I'm going to get somebody a crossbow, do I want to get them an entry level or do I want to go ahead and step up to the more top of the line model and what you're getting for that increase in price? I mean, one of the things I heard you say we talked about is you're going to get more forgiveness in terms of faster speeds and, and a quieter overall crossbow. When more you start, compact. Yeah, yeah, sure. right. So when you start to think about the other components that are on that crossbow, maybe even accessories, are you gaining anything uh, in terms of optics? Or, uh, you know, one of the things that I've noticed just as a hunter in the woods with a crossbow, they're not as easy to carry as a vertical bow. They're a little bit more cumbersome to carry. So are you gaining anything in terms of accessories, slings, scopes, quivers? That's another area. Seems like in some crossbows, it gets kind of overlooked is what are you going to actually do with your bolts when you're hunting? Take me through some of those accessories. Yeah. Something I didn't touch on earlier, the targets, just to kind of finish that up. Crossbow targets are another thing that uh, definitely are, uh, you have to consider the, when you buy a crossbow, the target that you need to stop it. You know, if, if you buy uh, the, the cheaper opening price point targets, most any crossbow target is going to work with it. But when you start getting into these, the high end targets, you're going to have to buy a high end or high end crossbow. You're going to have to buy a high end target to stop that. And to be able to, otherwise, if, if you're, if you're not willing, you know, if you're willing to spend the money on the crossbow, spend the money on the target to be able to stop your bolts and not have to go buy more bolts because you, you keep wrecking them because you're shooting them all the way up to the fletching or you're, it's going through your target and skipping off the ground behind it and creating a dangerous situation. You know, go ahead and spend the money and buy the right crossbow target. And most of them have speed ratings, you know, like a lot of our, like our bag targets and a lot of our other targets all have speed ratings on them now. So there's, there's a, just a point to think about there. Moving on to the accessory piece of it. You know, what do you get when you're most, you know, a lot of times you do have a better, a better arrow or a better bolt, like with our ax versus our, Rocky Mountain stuff, we actually have a micro diameter bolt versus the standard 2264 diameter bolt. So that that's, uh, you know, for vertical guys, it's a 166 arrow or a G size knock that's uh, super small, compact, and it has a lot less wind drift. So by by getting that bow, you know, you're, you're going to have a lot less effect from a crosswind when you're shooting it. That's another thing that speed does is it helps with the crosswind too some. But, you know, when you're when you're talking about a 2264 bolt versus the 166, the 166 will fit well inside the, you know, inside uh, diameter of the knock uh, or of the the shaft on that uh, that crossbow bolt. So it's a significantly more compact shaft. And uh, so there's and other other ones have that too. You know, there's there's different types of bolts that they have. Some of them 
I, I recommend anybody that shoots a crossbow shoot a lighted knock with it because if you've never shot an animal with a crossbow, you don't understand how fast it actually happens and the little bit of recoil that you have. You know, you have to keep your eyes open and see where it hits it because that's one of the most important things about bow hunting is knowing where you hit that animal. And 90% of the time, if you're shooting it without a lighted knock, you have no idea where that impact was. It's just, it just happens so fast. So I would definitely make sure that you're getting uh, lighted knocks or that there's a lighted knock option. Crossbow arrows, like I said, there's definitely some performance that you can gain from looking at arrows and whether it be a dual spine option or a lighter or heavier option and playing around with some of them. You can get a lot better downrange accuracy. You can get, you know, better performance. If you, like I said, if you are shooting uh, fixed blade broadheads, I would recommend like, uh, like our Maxima Hunter style dual spine or our destroyer series that have a dual spine technology in them so that you're you're not going to have as much oscillation when it comes off the bow so things like that uh slings you know certain packages have slings in them the quiver you know like i said people have kind of tried to figure out where to put that quiver it used to just go you know left or right across the front now they kind of run down the side of the bow like i think our rocky mountains come with an option to do you can either do do them either way you can either put them underneath the limbs uh running uh, long ways or you can turn them and just go straight across it most people um, take them off once they get to the stand just like with a vertical bow and that's pretty simple to do if you want to see a really cool quiver the axe that's one of the, the coolest features on our axe crossbow is the quiver is actually tucked up underneath the uh right against the the stock of the crossbow and all three bolts uh, sit in there with a quiver hood that's attached to it and you wouldn't even know it's there and it's, it's probably two inches wide maybe three inches wide mm-hmm. and you just alternate your bolt your uh, broadheads in there and your fletchings and they fit really nice and compact up against it so you don't have to worry about taking it off like they're just there yeah but that is one of the things i've even seen some of the, the quivers that are like over the top of the riser like up you know sticking back but it's really just a way to get them in and out and i almost see more people using pack style quivers with crossbows than yeah. anything because that way they're just there and they're not more in the way when you're walking i've got that axe pulled up here on my screen and i'm, I'm checking it out man that is a really cool design having that um, quiver up underneath because that's one of those things that it's it's nuance but Gosh, nice. dang, man, how annoying is your quiver most of the time? You know, like as a vertical bow hunter, it's like, all right, now I got to find a little perfect spot to hang it or got to have it, you know, to hang it on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. All, it's just one more thing and and not if, you know, and I don't like shooting with my quiver on. So that's really cool. I, lo- I love that design. Actually, I've, I've never seen one that I like, but I've that one looks pretty, like you said, you wouldn't even notice it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, I, you I didn't can, notice you it until you, <laughs> until you said something. Yeah, when you pull up to shoot, it's not in the way. You're, it's not your your thumb's not in the way. No matter if you're left handed or right handed, like they're just completely out of the way. So it's pretty it's pretty neat. And then scopes was the last piece of it. And, and you will you know you typically will see an improvement in in the optic quality, uh, the quality of the glass. Like I said, whether it's a, a lighted reticle, the type of reticle that's in there, whether it's pre dotted, like you know just just dashes in there. If it's actually got the yardage beside of it, how far it goes out there. If it's pre dotted out to you know 50, 60 to hundred, all of those things are are options that's there i think hha makes a, a speed dial i think that they have for a crossbow that uh people if you're buying an you know a, an entry-level crossbow but you want to put like they make an upgrade kit i think it's a hawk optic that they put on it and you shoot it at 20 and you back up just like with their optimizer you back up to uh 60 i think and then you you get the number and then you have a pre-dialed by the yard dial that you can put on there and i've used that on our rocky mountain bows for a couple of years and that and that works really really well 
you know, so there's, there's a lot of different accessories and things that are out there that have, uh, have options for people just kind of, they seem like they don't look at those accessories and I don't know, I'm not sure why they don't, but it just seems like, oh, they buy a package and that's all they can do. And that's all they want to look at is what they have. But there's really a lot of options out there. People have come up with some creative accessories. Yeah, and it's, it definitely seems to be something that should be paid attention to more than with vertical bows because it doesn't seem like things are quite as interchangeable as they are on vertical bows. I mean, I might be wrong on that, but you know, it's almost like you need to go with the total setup that you like the most because what works on an axe, I guess, may not work on a Rocky Mountain. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Yeah. There, there's a lot, it's very specific to the particular bow. You know, like I said, shooting sticks, the, the axe has a pick rail built in the front of it. And so does the Rocky Mountain. You know, they have a little pick rail that you can put the quiver on for the Rocky Mountain. But, you know, like I use swagger sticks uh, if I'm, if I'm using uh, uh, shooting sticks and that just actually clips right on the pick rail. So you could use this, that for either or. So that's kind of like something that's universal that we were trying to use, you know, a universal mount. So you could have any accessory you wanted to mount there with a pick rail, whether it be a action camera or whatever, you know, that just gives you an opportunity, but not everybody uses a pick rail. Uh, They have screw holes or this or that. So you can't, you can't always do that. You know, you can't just assume that they're all going to, that it's going to work on everything. So once you get your particular bow or you're looking at a bow, looking at, you know, look at the things and, and see if it actually does work on it. And most of the time it's going to be, once you get the bow, you'll, you'll be able to find accessories for it. You know, Chris, something else I'm thinking about too, you know, being a guy that hunts the majority of the time out of a tree stand, a crossbow can, can get a little bit unwieldy, especially if you're, if you're sitting, uh, like hunting out of a saddle where you're facing Mm -hmm. the tree, a lot of the times you've got the trunk of that tree can tend to get in your way. And it looks like kind of looking at the, um, the Rocky mountain line and, and you, you can correct me on my, my verbiage here, but the way that the limbs are oriented, it seems like the, the ax line would give you, it'd be much more compact horizontally. So like if you were yes. out of a saddle, you may really want to look for, what do you call that? A reverse limb design? Reverse draw. Yep reverse draw so like the reverse draw is going to be typically more compact horizontally is that right yep yeah they typically are are more compact and they're they don't have as much of a power stroke either because they the the string is at the front of the the bow versus um the limbs being at the front of the bow and the string stopping uh where the cams are so the cams are at the very front of the bow so it doesn't have to have as much of a power stroke to get the speeds and it doesn't have to have as much poundage typically either. So those are some of the things that make it a lot more compact. And, you know, that's what I'm like, so that's what I'll be hunting with this afternoon when I get back in the stand. And it really is nice. And one thing people don't think about, like if you're using a rifle out of that, you'd probably just lean up against the tree if you were going to shoot around the tree. Right. You can't do that with a crossbow because the limbs actually move. And that's a really good way to blow up a crossbow is to rest it or be very close to the tree or something like that. So, yeah, I would say if you're using a saddle, you definitely want to make sure that that you're facing away from the tree. You're not trying to sneak around the tree when you're shooting it. Uh, same with a tree stand, you know, use a, use a shooting rail or, you know, if you're having to shoot behind you where you're shooting around the tree, you have to be cognizant that you don't have the, the cams or the limbs too close to the tree so that when you pull the trigger, they're going to, they're going to expand out to where they go when it's uncocked right. and you, you know, you don't want to have it uh, interfering with anything. And uh, you don't want to make sure you're, you know, you don't want to be too close to somebody in a blind or, the blind walls. That's another thing I've seen bows that get blown up like that. I had a, I know a guy that, uh, was hunting with somebody. He, he was sitting next to him and didn't realize how far the limbs came out and it 
the the limb hit his hit, hit his arm, put a big bruise on his arm when you know. So there's a lot of things that you have to consider. You know, anybody that's ever ever shot an Onada probably remembers getting popped in the leg with the limb when it when it goes down. Right back in the day, or if you bowfish, you know what I'm talking about because you people people have bruises on their legs all the time from from doing things like that. But yeah, those are some of the things to think about too when you're in a tree stand and how you're gonna what you, what your preferred method of hunting is. Chris, man, uh, I've learned a lot today. The last thing I want to ask you about with all the technological innovation and crossbows, there's a, there's something new coming out every year uh, that seems like a pretty major advancement. And with that being said, a lot of times there's a certain group of hunters that are, they're going to go get the newest, the best every single year. They're going to upgrade. They're going to take that last year's model or last, you know, two years ago model. And they're going to they're going to sell it used. So if somebody's looking at a used crossbow, what should they inspect? And, and, you know, I think we've talked enough about different components they want to pay attention to, but what's it, what should somebody really look at? Uh, if they're, if they're thinking about a used crossbow. Strings and limbs. That's the first two things, you know, you want to look at them, uh, really close, make sure the string's not frayed or if you're looking, you know, like I said, look at the serving on it and can, the condition of it, because most likely, you know, not depending on how much it's been shot, I would recommend if you buy a used crossbow to get it restrung, just so you have that peace of mind and confidence that you've got a new string on it and, you know, that, that it's going to be, it's going to be durable and, you know, there's no nicks, there's no tears, nothing that they've covered up in it. And then go through the limbs and make sure, you know, look at them, make sure they're not picked, make sure they're not cracked. And just make sure that make sure that everything looks right. Make sure the cam timing is set correctly. You know, so sometimes if somebody does something like I was talking about where they hit something, it'll throw the cam timing out of whack. Those would be things that I would look for. And then, you know, look at the scope and and look for signs of wear and tear too. Like, you know, did they, did they take care of it? Uh, did they put any aftermarket accessories on it that's not on it now? You know, did did they try something that didn't work or uh, you know, if there's, if there is aftermarket accessories on it, were they designed for that crossbow, you know, things like that to make sure that they're, you're not getting somebody else's problem. Chris, man, we really appreciate you being on the show today and sharing your wealth of knowledge with our listeners. Um, if folks kind of want to, um, go on Faradine's website or check out the lineup of products, I'm pretty sure that Batman has one of these X 440s, by the way, this thing is crazy looking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you want to point people uh, to your resources, what's the best place for them to go to get more information? Yeah. Faradine.com. Uh, that's, that's the place it's got all of our brands on there, whether it be the broadheads, the targets, uh, the accessories or the crossbows themselves, they're on there. And, you know, we've got a great customer service department. There's a chat feature on there. And so if you don't want to talk to somebody, you can actually just open up a live chat with one of our customer service people. If it's after hours, it sends them an email and the next day they'll get back to you as soon as they can. Um, that's a great feature people don't always use because they may not have time to take and talk to somebody, but you can have an active chat with, uh, with our customer service team and answer a lot of the questions that you may have. Awesome. Yeah. Like Butch said, thanks for joining us, man. And get back in the stand and I uh, hope you get a that's big right. one this afternoon. Good luck. Yep. Thanks guys. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. Don't forget about our sponsors and make sure you support them when you're out in the marketplace. Brush Clearing Services. If you've been considering forestry mulching, don't forget, there is no substitute for horsepower. Brush Clearing Services provides high output, high production forestry mulchers from three to 600 horsepower. Smaller skid steer mulcher runtime rates may be lower, but BCS production will be two to three times more than these smaller machines. BCS prides itself on providing dependable equipment to ensure project completion is on time and under budget. Check out their full line of property and land services at Brush Clearing Services.com or call them at 706 718 
1690. And also brought to you by the National Deer Association. If you are a landowner or a hunter who leases land or is a member of a hunting club, then purchasing hunting land liability insurance is essential. For as little as a few cents an acre, the National Deer Association offers the broadest and most comprehensive coverage available, including member-to-member coverage, guest coverage, and coverage for many high-risk activities involving tree stands, ATVs, and firearms. Many other policies contain hidden exclusions for these activities, so don't risk your assets. Go to thedeerassociation.com to protect yourself today. That's deerassociation.com. Well, folks, that is going to wrap it up this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt Land Show is brought to you by Photonist Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. These ultralight, ultra compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. Check them out. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also, SunSouth. From outdoor equipment, parts, service, accessories, SunSouth has you covered. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. SunSouth for those that do. And also brought to you by First South Farm Credit. First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at FirstSouthLand.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also by Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. Visit www.alafarm.com for more information and to find a co-op near you. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also brought to you by Boaters List. Do you own a company that needs to reach boaters, anglers, or marine enthusiasts? Sign up for free today to grow your business on BoatersList.com.